Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. So today, I'm excited because I have Ashley Wells on the MBA Insider Podcast. Um, Ashley is a near and dear friend of mine, a former colleague of mine, um, and someone who I was able to feature in the MBA Insider book. And that's what I'm here to talk to her about today. And so I guess first and foremost, Ashley, uh, thank you so much for joining me. I always enjoy chatting with you. And I'm basically just taking one of our many chats and just putting it on the podcast. So I appreciate you indulging me in that. Um, but I guess um, to start, I always like giving a warm-up question. So uh, my warm-up question to you is, um, think back to when you were growing up. You know, what, did, what did a young Ashley Wells want to be when she grew up? So probably like a lot of kids, I wanted to be a range of different things. But um, I actually went to a performing arts middle school and high school. So I had young dreams of being an actress or a singer or being on stage of some kind. Um, but I think, you know, always from when I was a little kid, I always wanted to be some form of a storyteller, which definitely still shows up for me in, in my job today. Um, and probably any role I'll have in business has that core component. So even though I'm not on Broadway, um, I still have some of the dream alive in, in what I do every day. You mean not on Broadway yet? <laughs> Look out for the next Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay, so talking about that career, I guess maybe just to start, um, give us, you know, give us a little bit of background. You know, what's been your your career journey, and then obviously you went to Wharton, so maybe um, you know, give a little color on that, and then you know, certainly a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah, sounds good. So. Going way back to the beginning, uh, I grew up in Tampa, Florida, actually very close to where some of the scenes of Tiger King took place, <laughs> for those who have seen it. Um, grew up in Florida, and you know, my big foray into the world and city living was going to George Washington University in Washington, D.C., so very much transitioned from you know, a kid in the burbs, kind of a sheltered life, to hailing my first taxi at 18 and um, working some really amazing internships. I studied government in undergrad. And so a lot of my internships were on campaigns. I worked for the Obama campaign, worked um, in the Senate, worked for, um, worked for uh, State Department and did lots of other really amazing political internships during that, you know, 2008 to 2010 window, which was just a crazy um, opportunity to be living in DC during that transition time. So after college, I was still really passionate about government. And um, so I ended up working at Deloitte Consulting, which is where you and I met. Um, I was on the federal side. So I worked a lot with our Department of Defense and Department of Homeland Security and solved pretty interesting problems. Um, you know, some of the problems I solved for DOD was working on um, military suicide prevention, um, the strategy for that for DOD, or working um, within Homeland Security on personnel recovery efforts and um, being able to rescue people overseas um, for the government. So while I was really excited about government during those four years, I started thinking, hmm, maybe government isn't the silver bullet solution to all of society's problems. And maybe um, there's this other option, right? In addition to the nonprofit space, which I also worked in, which is um, business. And how can we solve big problems through um, corporate America? So I ended up transitioning to business school. I went to Wharton in Philly and um, you know, had an amazing experience. I'm sure we'll talk more in depth about it, but um, did my summer internship in tech at Google. And um, while that role wasn't a fit for me, I definitely saw the potential for, you know, tech to do good in the world um, and ended up coming back to consulting post Wharton for a couple of years. And during that time, uh, one of my clients was Adobe 
and I designed a transformation for them, a business model transformation um, within Adobe. And I ended up um, getting pulled over client side like many consultants do. And um, that's where I've been for the past year and a half. So I run half of my role is running business operations for our global 600 person sales team. And half of my role is running the operating model transformation that I designed um, a couple years ago. So it's been an exciting and awesome ride. And that's where I am today. Yeah. And so many things in there I want to uh, unpack a little bit later. But one thing that jumped out to me that I forgot about was the fact that you worked on the Obama campaign and, and had a foray into politics and government. And I'm curious because you had that and then certainly you had your MBA experience. Now you're working in business as well. But just I'm just curious about like particularly working on like like that campaign at that time and just, you know, what you learn about leadership. Right. Just uh, I mean, like I, I like I, number one, like leadership in terms of a context of a political campaign too, just in terms of a leader like Obama. But then obviously you go to business school where I know you spent a lot of time thinking about leadership and leadership development. And then obviously going back into, you know, the more of like the business world. I'm just curious, like how did those years, like particularly in government kind of, you know, maybe influence your thoughts or ideas about what leadership was like, or, or even like how you wanted to show up uh, as a leader? Yeah. So I think, you know, thinking back to the campaign, I was 20 years old. Um, I was working part-time on the, on the campaign, working with, uh, in a field office in Northern Virginia with a bunch of really smart and really young people. <laughs> um, and, you know, a couple of things I learned from that experience, you know, one is that good ideas come from anywhere and you, anybody can contribute and lead. So to give a really clear example of that, it was my first day in the field office day one, like we were setting up phones. We didn't even have phones in the office or internet. And we had like 20 retired volunteers come in looking for something to do to help. And, you know, the, the field lead looks over at me and is like, okay, Ashley, figure out something for, you know, for these people to do. It's like, okay, <laughs> you know, happy first day. Let's, you know, go put 20 people to work with zero structure. Um, so, you know, being able kind of like leading through execution and good ideas coming from anywhere and just in the spirit of doing, right? I, I learned a lot about just rolling up your sleeves and, and diving right into it. And um, that, that was helpful um, and practical experience and learning how to think on your feet and be creative. Um, the other thing I learned was the importance of data, right? Which shows up for me every single day in, in the work I do now. And, you know, the the campaign was very data driven. You know, we we used clear um, data driven insights on exactly which doors we knocked on, which people we called, right? And and data was a huge part of the 2008 campaign, and it's become increasingly important ever since. So, data driven decision making was something I really learned there first and foremost. Um, and then I guess the third thing I learned more from the government experience um, versus the campaign experience is um, I don't have any issue with solving problems at scale. So I think there are people who naturally are very enticed by the startup scene, really want to be in a small space, want to own something, build it. Um, I, I love those ambitions and, and you know, I have that side of my brain as well. But I think the part of me that gets really excited is actually solving problems at scale. And so when you're working with government, um, when you're working at Google, when you're working, you know, at Adobe, you're working with millions of customers for Google, even billions of customers. And so you're, you're constantly thinking about how do I, you know, solve this in a way that has velocity and can serve a lot of people. So that's something that really excites me. And um, government gave me that, you know, experience to not shy away from those kind of opportunities. Oh, I, what an experience to have that early in your career, right? And, and certainly a um, mo monumental one just in terms of history too, as well, just, you know, being able to be a part of that. I just, I think of all the people who um, probably around your age or maybe a couple years older during that time, just, you know, were able to have that to take with them, you know, in their careers, wherever they ended up going. And I, you know, um, I know plenty of people who worked on some of those campaigns and the things that are doing now, but just to have an experience like that at such an early age and be part of history is, uh, is so cool. Um, so I, no, I, I, I was 
as you were talking that out loud, I had forgotten that that was a part of your past. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, that, that is really, really interesting. Um, so just to, to transition a little bit, take me back to, okay, so you graduate from Morton, walk across the stage, get your diploma, and then, you know, you go back to Deloitte and you move to San Francisco, which is across the country. It's, it's new for you. Um, it's, it's a new job. I mean, same company, but new job. Um, so changed it up a little bit. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what that was like in terms of the transition and, you know, the new kinds of ways of working, if you will? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I didn't apply to any business schools on the West Coast because I thought it was too far and that I would never live in California. And then my first year uh, started realizing that, hmm, if I'm interested in tech, most of these companies are in California. Um, and, you know, the other more lifestyle component for me was growing up in Florida, I was able to be outside. Um, every day of the year. And I did, you know, 10 East Coast winters between DC and Philly. And by that point, I was like, mm, I think I need to change this. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be going to New York after all. So that was one of the actually the most important lessons in business school, right, was the permission to change your mind. And I think that I'm, I can be a very kind of black and white person, right and wrong, this or that, and I'm pretty decisive. And so giving myself permission to learn more information, collect more data and change my mind real time, um, I think is actually a super important part of leadership and character. And, you know, that was one of the big pivots of my life is making this transition to California where I've been for the last four years. So, you know, transitioning out here was, um, I think for me, you know, one of the best career moves I've ever made. I think there's a certain, you know, Tech isn't perfect, as we've seen over the last several years, but um, the opportunity that you have to work with smart people who want to move fast, who are looking to do solve big problems at scale um, is pretty unprecedented in the Bay Area. Um, and so having those experiences have been um, invaluable. I will say, you know, the beauty of consulting is you work with a range of, of clients. And so I saw customers who were needing to transform themselves because things were fundamentally broken. And if they didn't transform, um, their business would go bust. And then there were customers like Adobe, um, who I work for now, who were looking to transform themselves before things were broken. They, were, they didn't wait until um, things were on the fritz to look inside and figure out where the next wave of growth was coming from. So seeing that spectrum really gave me a good grounding in the types of companies that I wanted to work for going forward. And I think you always want to be, you know, aligning yourself to a company that's constantly thinking about that next pivot of growth and is not waiting for things to fail before they get there. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good insight and having worked with a company that is similar. I totally, I totally agree. One of the things I wanted to also ask you about was, so you worked in consulting before business school. Um, and then obviously you went to business school and then you came back. And so same company and, you know, directionally, you know, same thing, but there were, there were some changes. I'm just curious, um, you know, as a result of now having an MBA and maybe having an, an you know, coming in at a higher title and certainly moving from, um, you know, more government to, you know, more, um, commercial sector. I'm just curious, like what changed or how was it, how is it different, even though there certainly still were some similarities? Yeah. A few things. So one is totally rebuilding my network from scratch. So very little connections transferred over from federal DC to tech San Francisco. So rebuilding my network and really putting myself out there and working on different types of projects and, and building, um, building up my, you know, Deloitte network at the time was super important to get on the types of projects that I wanted to get on. Um, the other thing was more for me, just coming out of the MBA, you are just quick, right? You have a grounding in every aspect of business, um, you know, marketing, product, sales, strategy, growth, finance. So having that toolkit made me so much quicker um, when I was in the business space and I was able to just um, operate at the speed that I needed to at consulting speed. So I think a lot of thing, 
a lot of problems that I was solving would have taken me a lot longer, you know, pre MBA, but that the MBA experience was a big unlock um, and getting me to, um, you know, the baseline level of, of knowledge that I needed to, to move faster. So those would be some of the big changes. Yeah. And I, I think that's great. And I think it speaks to just the, because you do get exposure to so many, you know, functions or experiences in business school, it gives you kind of that baseline to be able to, you know, take on something that um, may be new for you, but to, like you said, the ability to, to move fast and also to, you know, when you're in business school, I think that you're being constantly put in positions where you're having to consume and learn new things that if you do it right, you, you kind of get to a process where you, you learn how to, how to learn something new and then ingest it and then take action, right. And, and move at that warp speed uh, that you need to. Um, I'm curious though, on that, on that notion, um, one of the things that I often I've experienced and I've also ta- often talked to other MBA students about is just, so you, obviously you have like a two-year program where it's very intensive and immersive, but you can never be expected to learn everything, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's just impossible. And so, um, and particularly moving into something like consulting where you're being paid for your expertise, right? And mm-hmm. so how did, did you ever feel, were you ever put in positions where you felt either overwhelmed or overmatched and like, how, like, how, or, or not, because, <laughs> but you know, if, if you did, like, how do you navigate kind of the, the push and pull of, you know, wanting to feel confident that what you learned in school or your past experiences were, were, were going to, we're going to help you, but also, you know, anytime you have to take on something new that you haven't maybe done before, there's, there's always a little bit of um, uh, discomfort, at least initially, right? I'm just curious if you, if you had to navigate that, and if so, how did you manage that? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think it happens to everyone, you know, consulting and non-consulting, but specifically with consulting with the business model, <laughs> yes. the way that it is. Yeah. So, you know, a couple things. One, I think with the business school toolkit, right, you have a baseline level of knowledge and you've solved enough diverse problems in business school that I think you have a higher degree of confidence that you can figure stuff out. Um, So confidence was definitely a huge value lever for me in business school was um, feeling that sense of business acumen and confidence that I didn't have beforehand. The other thing I would say which is also a huge function in business school, right, is your network. So whenever I am dealing with new problems or I need specific areas of expertise that I don't have, being able to tap into my MBA network uh, has been really valuable for me. And, you know, that's what's great about going to a big program like Wharton, you know, so there's 800 in my class and then another 800 in the class above me and below me. And so, being, you know, think of the most obscure problems that you need to solve. Like there are people who've done that, who've worked in that space. And so I've definitely tapped into my network when I did feel outmatched so that I had the context that I needed to, um, you know, be able to perform in given situations. Uh, the, I love both of those. I think the one thing I really latched onto is this idea around confidence. And if I remember correctly, one of the things that you did in business school was you created a a, a bucket list, I think, of (laughs) like things that you wanted to do. And in some cases, they were things, there's some things in cases that you were wanted to do and you wanted to do them. And in some cases, there were things that you wanted to do because they either were foreign, they scared you, or they, (laughs) they were just out of, you know, things that were maybe a little bit out of your comfort zone. Um, I'm, I'm leading the witness here, but I'm assuming that that was probably something that helped you gain some confidence. Um, is that, is that fair? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're all about, um, and I guess this is like probably a pretty common, you know, term used today, but the, the concept of stretch experiences, right. And of growth coming from places where you're uncomfortable is tried and true. Um, but it's definitely showed up for me, um, in a lot of ways. And, and I think, that's kind of a theme and it's probably a theme of a lot of ambitious people is I, the, the real feeling of um, achievement or of um, feeling like you're 
not necessarily achievement, but feeling like you're realizing your own potential yeah. is when you put yourself outside of what you're good at. Yeah. <laughs> and you allow yourself to struggle a bit. And, and that feeling of, for me, that where I really feel like I'm realizing my potential is that space between um, knowing, knowing that I can do it, you know, having the confidence that I can do it, but the uncertainty that maybe you can't. Yeah, <laughs> and totally. that space, the space in between there is totally where the growth happens. Yeah. And so, you know, being able to go for stretch opportunities, you know, professionally, personally has been really valuable. With that being said, I mean, I think I was talking to a friend of mine, an old friend of mine from Deloitte a while back, and we were saying, you know, you, you also don't have to do that 100% of the time. You don't have to choose the hardest option 10 out of 10 times. Yeah. And so I think that's another thing that's, you know, coming into my life and a lot of our lives right now with coronavirus is, is now the time to take on four ambitious projects? Maybe now's the time to take on two <laughs> or sure. one, right. you know? Right. And so being able to use that strategically so you don't exhaust yourself is also really important. And I think you know, managing my energy and knowing when, when is the right time to go after those opportunities helps me sustain that. Cause otherwise you, you have a risk of burnout as well. Yeah, no, I think that was great. And that, um, that zone that you were talking about of like <laughs> two cup, like, uh, it's like Goldilocks, right? Like not, yeah. too, not too hot, not too cold, but like, you're going to think I'm the biggest, actually, you might not think I'm the biggest nerd because you might do this too. <laughs> I was describing this con the same concept to someone the other day. And I was actually, I tried to build a slide. Like I literally tried to build a, a visual for it and I can like literally see it in my head. I just haven't like finished it yet, but I think it's, I think it's so true. And I think back to what, um, Ginny Rometty, the former CEO of IBM always says where growth and comfort don't come hand in hand. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and they just, they just don't. Right. And, and certainly too, if you, if, if I were to ask you like, you know, what are the three most meaningful, um, accomplishments you've had in your life? I bet you would tell me that none of them were easy, right? And mm -hmm. because because intuitively we understand that for, to do anything impactful, meaningful, like there is a little bit of of challenge or struggle that you need to work with in order to you know achieve that that end goal. Um, but I, I do think that staring it in the face sometimes in the moment can be can be challenging. But right. the one thing I would also say, and, and I've I've said this to a lot of MBA students that. If there were ever a time and there ever were an environment to take those risks, it it is it is business school. Um, number one, because the, the the cost of failure is is much better than you know being you know it, when you're on a client engagement with a Fortune 100 company who's mm -hmm. paying you millions of dollars <laughs> to to be there for, for starters. But also being in a community of some really smart and intelligent people, in some cases, in experts in the thing that you're trying to learn is, I mean, like there's so much, there's so much you can grow from that, even if you do fall on your face. So that, totally. um, and that's, that's why I loved that, that you had kind of created that bucket list because, um, number one, it helps you grow. But number two, I'm sure you also didn't do it alone. Like I'm sure you had, you know, other people who were, um, helping you along the way. So, sure. um, one, um, one other thing that I wanted to talk about with the change and move to San Francisco, because, I know we've talked about it before, but it often comes up, particularly, um, I'm generalizing here, but if you're graduating business school kind of in the age range between, I don't know, like 26 and 32 is just kind of the change in your personal life or the changes that you have to adapt to from moving across the country to a new city. Um, and then also the changes that happen when you go back to a, a job, one that is pretty demanding, um, but you still obviously want to have you know some kind of social life or personal life. And certainly that social or personal life now is not going to be the same as it was in business school um, for <laughs> most people. And so I'm just curious if you could maybe share a little bit more just in terms of moving to a new city um, and then obviously adjusting back to a demanding job, um, the changes that you, uh, the, the tra that transition and then what you kind of had to do to um, build up to a having that life outside of work that you felt comfortable with or, or happy with? Yeah, good. Yeah, it's a good question. So the beauty of transitioning to San Francisco it, for me was it was a 
it was a big enough city that there were a lot of other Wharton people who came out with me, but not so big like New York where, where you didn't have to talk to people. <laughs> so, um, you know, our Wharton class about, I think it was about 125 to 150 of us ended up coming out to San Francisco. And, you know, it, the first two years coming back were very social and I, and I still, you know, maintain contact with so many of my, uh, you know, many of my friends here, my closest friends are, are Wharton friends, both people I was close to at Wharton and people I've be become close to since moving out here. So, you know, that's, that's one thing. Also recommend moving to a city where people are always visiting <laughs> because you end up getting a lot of um, friends coming through foot traffic wise. So I definitely felt like I had a social safety net, if you will, of people out here um, just by virtue of kind of where I moved and, and what the dynamics were. In terms of making space for social life and that hard transition from full-time business school to full-time working, um, you know, you have to decide like what's sacred to you. So for me, like two things were sacred to me. Weekends were always sacred. I, I had protected weekends that I had maybe three weekends in my two years of consulting that I, that I worked weekends. So that for me, that was sacred. And during the week I went really, really, really hard, but I would only sacrifice one of two levers, sleep or exercise. I would never sacrifice both. So either I was going to get six hours of sleep um, and not work out, or maybe I would get less than that, but I was, I was going to wake up early and, you know, hit a class before work. So, you know, I definitely worked a lot um, coming back as probably a lot of people in banking or consulting or some hybrid industries can relate to. Um, but I made sure that I had boundaries and they didn't look like other people's boundaries, but they were mine. And I made sure to protect those so that I had what I needed to um, feel personal fulfillment. Yeah. And I think the two things that stand out in what you just said is number one, the intentionality that you put in the thoughtfulness that you put into figuring out what those boundaries were for you. And, you know, I think from my experience too, having, you know, worked in consulting, um, I will like readily admit objectively, some of the work that I did may not have been what most people perceived as quote unquote cool or sexy. <laughs> but one of the things that allowed me to do was to align um, the rest of my life in a way that made me overall like very, very happy and content with what was going on. Um, and because I, I too had some of the same kind of priorities just in terms of health um, and wellness, as well as being able to see um, my friends on weekends and things like that. But that was the decision that I, I, I had to make for myself. I, I, that wasn't something that someone else could make for me. Like I really, uh, I really needed to, I really needed to own that. And very similarly to how I think you kind of, you know, thought about it as well. Um, so just to, just to build on that point, I mean, it's actually interesting that you say that because I think the difference between consulting and industry, right, is, or maybe project based work versus industry is that you have these, um, you have this like boom and bust cycle of intense work. And then you kind of, you know, what we call being on the bench or on the beach, you have intense work and then you have periods of rest and then you have intense work. And then maybe you take an internal project and it's this kind of up and down motion versus when you're in business, the workload is less, but it's kind of a grinded out over time, right? Which is a different kind of burn actually. So it's, I think that the, um, the nature of like scoping projects is super, super helpful. And I use that tool set every day. And, and I think, you know, when you look at things that kill your productivity, right, is it the meeting on your calendar that should have ended six months ago, right, that we just keep into perpetuity, right, because that's kind of the nature of, of being an industry. So being able to scope milestones and deadlines and knowing how to scope work has helped me because it gives me that bit of kind of variety that I need so that I have some built-in periods of intensity and, and downtime because otherwise you're just operating at kind of like a hundred percent the whole time, <laughs> yeah. which is a different kind of um, feeling. No, I, 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 I thank you for bringing that up because I will say like one of the challenges that I had to work through from moving from consulting to industry is, is what you just, is what you just articulated. I treated my first probably year and a half of industry like it was consulting <laughs> and my team had to constantly be like, 
come on, bro. Marathon, not a race. Like, relax. Like, <laughs> right. you, can, you can simmer down. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, we need you in this for the long haul. And it took, it took, it really took some time to, to register. And it was just, it was just, I hadn't been used to it before because to your point, I was used to the boomer bust. And I think, though, what it speaks to and what I have tried to put thought into is that the better you can understand yourself and put intentionality into thinking about how you operate best or how you work best, or in some cases, like how you want to live your life, then you can create the conditions that you need or within your control, the conditions that you need in order to achieve that. So to your point, like if you know that um, you're going to be annoyed because of that, that meeting example you just gave, well then like every time you, you see one of those, like get it out, like, you know, get it out of there. Or like, if you know from your earlier point that the worst days that you have are when you don't have enough sleep and you haven't exercised, well, then like that trigger should be like, okay, well, that's the case. I need to make sure that that doesn't happen uh, because then I will not be my best self or produce the quality of work that I want or have a, I'll have a higher level of stress than I'll want to tolerate. So, um, 100%. yeah. Um, what I want to do now is actually, um, I absolutely love like a lot of the quotes in, in the book that you wrote. And I want to, I want to read some of them back and just kind of like conversate on them. So you to give you a chance to kind of dig deeper. And so, um, the first one, uh, I have is, and it's this idea around the fear of uncertainty. And you said, one of the biggest things business school taught me was to not fear uncertainty as well. And as well as to have the confidence in myself to take risks, knowing that change is inevitable and healthy. It would be really boring to know exactly what I would be doing in five, 15, or even 30 years. And now the uncertainty is exciting. Whereas when I was 25, I was anxious to have all the answers about my purpose in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I mean, I, I think... Um... I think from your earliest age, right, you're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And my job description now, I wouldn't have even had the words for. <laughs> so, um, and I'm very you, happy. You didn't know what business transformation was when you were nine? No, I, mean, okay. I had no idea. So, yes. And I think I felt a certain pressure to have it all figured out, know my purpose in life, how I was adding value. and there was so much pressure kind of put on every turn, right? So it was like, I remember graduating from college and everyone wanted to know what's the job you're going to, you know, after, um, after college. And, and that really said something about you and said something about where you were going. And, um, and then, you know, once you get into it, it's like, okay, you know, there, we all have different chapters, um, of our lives and of our career. And, you know, being able to not know the ending of the story makes things a heck of a lot more interesting. And so, especially being in tech, right? I mean, the companies that we might work at in the next 10, 15 years, like might not exist today. So how could I know, (laughs) you know, what the, what the next turn is going to be? And so, yeah, that um, confidence in myself that I got through business school and being okay with not knowing all the answers um, has made me a lot happier. I have a lot less pressure on myself. Um, and I'm able to enjoy the ride much more. No, I think that's great. And I, something that I've noticed, at least for me, I'm curious if this resonates at all, but, um, you know, I grew up in upstate New York and, um, in a suburb, you know, I had, um, you know, middle class, but, you know, I went to, I went to a private school and then I went to private high school and, and it was like, in high school, you had to take AP classes and volunteer so you could get into a good college, right? And get a good SAT score. And then in college, it was like you needed to do these activities and get this kind of GPA and so that you could get a good, um, a good internship. And then it was you needed to get a good internship because you needed to position yourself for that good first job out of college. And then it was like at Deloitte, you need to be a one or two rated analysts so that you could get GSAP. And when you got GSAP, you needed to, you know, be able to get into like a good, you know, MBA program and then you come back and, and it's just, there's always like this, um, there's always like this metric or this in a lot of cases title or metric title or just thing that you're, you're gunning for because it's the, 
it's the barometer that has been been set as deemed by just what's um, in some cases what society thinks, in some cases just what's what's there. And I think that for me at least, that certainty that certainty helped in a lot of ways in that it it gave me something to shoot for. Uh, that said, um, I can't tell you how freeing it feels to get rid of that. And I didn't mm-hmm. realize that honestly until really the past maybe two years. Um, because I, I, I think it was, I think it's well-intentioned and by no means like, am I suggesting you shouldn't get a good SAT score or that you shouldn't do well in school. <laughs> or you should, if you're listening to this and you're in school, like do all those things, but there comes a, and I think this is what you're hitting on. Um, there comes a, uh, at least for me, there has come a sort of confidence and there's come sort of a contentness in knowing that what I'm doing now is aligned exactly to the ways in which that I want to determine those metrics and barometers are, as opposed to whatever talent and development and Deloitte Consulting thinks the competencies are for um, an analyst, senior consultant or whatever, which are all well and good. Thank you to those people that helped for what it was. But, but for now, like, those are the things I need to be driving on my own. And I, and mm-hmm. I, and just feeling like a sense of pride and ownership in that versus um, an angst that like, I, I wasn't exactly there. I wasn't exactly measuring up or that like I needed to, I needed to do this or I needed to do that. Mm-hmm. So yes, I, I think my very honest answer is that what you're talking about is an evolved, <laughs> an evolved mentality that is much healthier. Yeah. It g- makes you much happier, and you you get to define, to your point, your metrics of success. It's not defined for you. With that being said, and let's just talk career-wise specifically, right? It's having a stepladder with defined criteria is coloring inside the lines and going into industry is coloring outside the lines. And so for me, I still have to adjust to the anxiety of not knowing what's next and having to dig and figure out and, and understand what are the spoken and unspoken criteria that I need to need and set a plan. So, you know, for me, that's been a huge adjustment, right? This is the first time in my career that I'm having to, establish that like for myself and, and navigate that. So, you know, I think it's, especially as a woman, you have to be really sensitive around that because Mm -hmm. to the extent that you want to, you know, move up and, and progress in your career, you do have to be much more explicit than you've ever been right in, in identifying what those things are, because you do want what you don't want is to be in an ambivalent situation and think that you're doing good work and therefore promotions are going to come to you and you're going to reach the next level. You have to put the onus on yourself to say, I love what I'm doing and I want more responsibility and I want to take it to the next level and I want to build a development plan for me to get to, you know, whatever that next step is. So it's everything you're saying is a hundred percent right. And just the real acknowledgement that transitioning to that is, can be harder than you think. Like it's freeing, but it's a process. It is. But I also think that's why, at least I can speak from my experience, why the Deloitte experience was so helpful for me because, you know, having to learn how to have that conversation when I didn't get the rating that I thought I was going to get and how to approach that and how to, what I needed to do the next time to make sure that that happened was such an important experience to have at such a young age because I mean, remember that, I mean, I'm sure you heard this a million times, own your career, right? It's like, um, like getting told that and like having to internalize that and having to like learn how to go and do that um, is part of the reason why I think I can be, at least right now, um, more thoughtful about how I make those decisions. And to your point, like you still, you have to act, like you have to act, like, yeah, it's um, in theory on things, right? But you have to ask for the things that you want. You have to do it in the right way. There's clear bias and barriers to certain you know, groups of people within the workplace that sometimes prevent that. Um, but I, one of the things I am grateful for for my time at Deloitte was because I did have to learn a lot of, a lot of those things that now uh, have helped me to be able to say like, okay, like, I think I am going on the path that I want defined by me, but I'm still using the skills and tools that I, I gained from this past experience to go and, and do that. Um, yeah. 
we're gluttons for feedback between business yeah, school and uh, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. work experience. You're you're so totally. yeah hungry for feedback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So another um, another quote uh, that I really liked, and maybe you can chat more about this because I know you alluded to it earlier, is just around this idea of um, you know expecting the unexpected. And uh, you kind of say, talking about this role, um, the role caught me off guard. I began to see the incredible opportunity for what it was, a chance to, to help run a business transformation that I designed in a role that I could customize and build under the best leadership, I've ever, leadership I'd ever worked for, um, which I knew would inspire me and help me pull up in the company if I worked hard. Um, and then later on, it says, it was unexpected, but I took a leap of faith in myself. I love my job and it feels amazing every day to say and believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my question here is like, so how do you know when to, when you get something unexpected, like, how did you know that like this, like it was this like, cause I'm assuming at some point, like you probably had something else, right? It could have like you, something else can maybe came up that was unexpected, but you passed on that. But like, mm-hmm. how do you know when it's, uh, the right time to have the confidence to say like, this is, this is the one versus maybe yeah. some other ones that aren't. Yeah, it's. It's a great question. Um, it's funny. One of the things that I learned in business school, right, is is how to say no, mm-hmm. and what are the tells that you need to say no. So I remember, you know, when it was internship season, like a lot of people, right? I had a lot of different internship opportunities, and in the case of my first year internship, right, I had a couple of really good opportunities that had. Um, where I I was going to have to say yes or no to those opportunities before I had heard from other companies that I was more excited about. And so it was a situation of basically what's my risk profile? What's my risk tolerance? Like, am I going to say these opportunities are good? So should I say yes to them knowing that I won't, I, there may be something better that I actually want more of, um, but those might not work out. And so I ended up, you know, I ended up saying no to those opportunities. I had the right opportunity for me that summer. So sometimes saying no to things, taking the risk in yourself and the investment in yourself that this isn't the exact right thing for me. And I'm willing to wait, even not having something lined up, I'm willing to wait and find the right thing that takes discipline for me. That took a lot of discipline to learn that. So that muscle helped me, right. As I, thought about next steps. When I, when I transitioned to Adobe, um, you know, the reason why I mentioned in the book that I was surprised is I didn't expect that opportunity, right? I ended up having a a breakfast conversation with my old client who, who turned into a job opportunity 24 hours later. And I was like, not really taking it seriously until I started thinking, you know, actually all the things that I said that were the most important to me, which was role, and which was leadership and being with people who I believed would pull me up in the company. Those are the two most important things to me. Other things were, were negotiable, but those were critical. And so that I had those things right in front of me were something that I couldn't pass up. And so that's what took me over the edge to say yes to that opportunity. And it was unexpected because I wasn't looking and I wasn't exactly ready. I I thought at the time I had another year um, as a manager at Deloitte before I would start looking. And so sometimes things find you and it's a bit of, you know, trusting the universe, but also, you know, trusting your judgment with what's right. Yeah. And I think the thing that I latched onto of what you just said was what helped in this case was those non-negotiables that you set or those priorities or values or whatever you want to call them. But um, having a good or at least a decent sense of what those are helps kind of ground, um, I think, ground your thinking when you, ha- when you are faced with a decision like that. And so um, it won't solve all of it, but I think it, it helps, right? Uh, as opposed to if you don't have that, it's, it's a little bit harder to maybe process or evaluate, um, you know, without a clear rubric, right? Um, uh, okay, so one more. And it's related to this, but um, it's about taking risks. Um, Many of the ways you surprised yourself were because you allowed yourself to take risks in what you perceived were a risk-free environment. Now that you're in the real world, ask yourself, how many choices can I truly make that are irreversible? The answer is probably very few. Yeah. I think about this all the time because um, I, I think about it a lot in business, actually, because I think that... I mean, every company culture is different, right? But um, 
I, I, I sometimes see us in business agonizing over what's the most right answer. Um, especially, you know, the company I'm in right now, we test everything. A lot of, a lot of companies in tech test everything, right? Um, which is very data driven, but it can also be slow. Um, and so it's helpful. Um, and this is a, a concept actually cha championed by Jeff Bezos and Amazon, right? Around one-way door decisions versus two-way door decisions and thinking about how, how few decisions you have whether it's in life or in business, that are actually one-way door decisions that are very hard to come back from. The reality is that most decisions, you can change your mind, which is kind of what I talked about at the beginning of this call, right? If you do something and you find out it's not the right thing, you can easily go back to what you did before or do something different. Um, so, you know, that freedom of, of putting less pressure on every decision as like the make or break decision of their life, when in fact there are very few of those, um, is honestly gives a lot of psychological safety to yourself, to your team, to be able to take more risks and do more things. So, um, yeah, that frame has been really helpful uh, in kind of <clears throat> putting more of a framework around risk and decisions. So it's funny. I'm glad you brought up the Jeff Bezos thing because I literally had in my notes bring up the Jeff Bezos thing. So I don't <laughs> have to do that anymore. So you nailed it. Um, but no, you're, you're absolutely right. And um, yes, I, yeah, I can't even add anything else because you said it way better than I ever could. Um, <laughs> great. So um, one other thing, I'm, I'm done with the quotes, but so from my perspective, um, out of the people I know, you're one of the most thoughtful and intentional people that I know uh, when it comes to doing anything. Um, you plan and then you execute on what you say you do, but clearly you're also someone who is becoming more appreciative of the unexpected, right? Mm -hmm. So even if you have a plan that you want to execute against, like you, it sounds like you've come around to this idea of, you know, sometimes things go differently and you, you roll with it. I'm just curious, like, how do you manage, like, how do you manage this like in work or in life? Because, right. Cause like on one hand, you know, like any good consultant, I'm sure you have your project plan and your milestones and your deliverables and mm -hmm. you want to like check them off. But also, you know, sometimes life or work doesn't always fit to that. And so I'm just curious mm -hmm. how, how you kind of work through that. Yeah. I mean, it's hyper, hyper, hyper relevant for me right now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, I still work with an executive coach who I worked with at Wharton. And so she and I were working together yesterday and we were we were going through this concept of things feel really out of control, right? Right now, mm -hmm. there's a pandemic. <laughs> um, nobody is in control of the day to day. Um, your, you know, things that you thought were going to happen at work, projects, investment you thought you would get, headcount you were going to get are not happening. Not to mention, you know, in your personal life, things are out of control. And so it's a really great reminder that you're actually, you know, we were working through it's not that you're completely not in control, but it's not that you're completely in control. It's a co-creation experience, right? Whether that's with your colleagues or with your partner or with your community, you're always co-creating. Um, and so, you know, the thing that she was challenging me with, which I think is relevant here, is trying not to be so attached to outcomes. So let's say you have a plan, right? You trying very hard not to want the outcome that you want and only that because oftentimes the outcome where it lands when you didn't expect it is either better or even though that may not be the outcome you wanted that leads you to the next wave of growth like that's the next pivot for you personally professionally what have you um, to get to the next higher level that you wouldn't have had if you know plan a had worked out so it's kind of embracing embracing the uncertainty and being trying very hard not to be so attached to one outcome, knowing and trusting that things may lead to something even better than you, than you could have planned. So I think that shows up for all of us in, in different ways, but you have to look and connect the dots looking backwards to find the thread of how those things play out. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that to a certain degree, we all desire for some level of certainty, right? And I think that's sometimes why we're conditioned to set a goal or an outcome that we want. Um, but to something that we both talked about earlier, particularly like working in tech, like this whole idea of knowing that the next job we may have may be for a company that we don't even know exists yet, 
right? Mm -hmm. And so there is a certain amount of, of, of the future that you just cannot fathom right now because we just, we just can't because it's not within our, our peripherals. And that's definitely something that has been hard for me to kind of um, come to terms with, but I think I'm much better now, particularly having worked in tech a little bit than I may have been in the past. But um, I, I think that, I think that's certainly an element of it, right. In terms of like having the growing, the confidence to know that um, if you, even if you, even if you can't envision the outcome or maybe the outcome changes that whatever comes your way as a result of your own strengths, your own process that you're following, like whatever that is, like it, there will be something there for you. Um, mm -hmm. And just having the, having enough, having enough confidence to be able just in that very day to put one foot in front of the other and, mm -hmm. and just keep, keep marching, keep marching along. So um, that's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's really, and particularly, particularly in a time like in a time like this, as you said, but I, I think it's um, I think it's worthwhile to, to work through. So. Mm -hmm. 100%. Um, so um, my last, my last question for you, um, what, like, what is, what does success mean for Ashley Wells? <laughs> um, such a big question. You know, I think success for me is, I kind of mentioned it at the beginning of the call, right? It's the, it's the zone of, you know, being happy, fulfilled, content with where I am, right? So being present and in the moment, um, being happy and content and plus <laughs> um, those growth and stretch opportunities personally and professionally where I feel like I'm not just standing still, but that I'm, I'm looking to, whether it's, you know, growing my career, um, growing my relationships, um, going deeper with my community, with my family. Those are the things that the, the growing and the outcome are both the things that make me happy and make me feel like I'm succeeding. So it's very much my own rubric and it's dynamic kind of every day. But for me, I think that's what success looks like. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.